be seated here is uh, the text that we'll be sharing with you as the basis for what, what we're looking at. But also, just want to remind you before the first hymn, there is an outline for folks who either like to take notes or just follow along. I hope this helps you. Um, at this time, though, um, before I read the sermon text, I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to help us uh, understand and to receive what it is that God desires for us this day. So let's pray first. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you uh, that you told us you would not leave us as orphans, but in the Gospel of John, you told us that you would send the Spirit to be our counselor, the one who would guide us into all truth. And Lord Jesus, as we look at this particular text this morning, Lord God, uh, only you can put the wonder of what the only begotten did. Because uh, as this text tells us, uh, while we may be in awe of what we have read, there are so many other things that were done that are not written, Lord God. We can only imagine how great you are, Lord God, and how great, Lord Jesus, was your ministry to those people during that time period. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We now offer ourselves to you and to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I hear what the Apostle John writes by the Spirit. He said, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Again, this is the Word of the Lord. Amen. Now, as I was thinking about this text and everything, it's interesting on how sometimes different Scripture texts announce what the purpose of a book is. And I believe that this is one of those texts in the Gospel of John that gives us a good reason for why John was inspired by the Spirit to write the Gospel of John. But I believe it's also a really good purpose statement about Jesus' life. Because I believe it points to a statement that maybe you've heard in different ways before. I know when I went through the four spiritual laws booklets back when I was involved with Campus Crusade for Christ, one of the statements that came out was, God has a wonderful plan for our lives. And again, just listen to how the Holy Spirit says this. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Now, one thing that really stood out to me, too, is we need to remember that Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's His title. It's... Uh, um, points to who He is and what He does and has done. But it's interesting, when Jesus spoke these same things to other people, these same statements in numerous ways throughout the Gospels, some people got excited, but some people got confused. It even made some people angry. So I think it's really important, and as we begin this time, we need to ask ourselves, First, what did Jesus mean when he said that by believing, you may have life in his name? 
Weren't they already physically alive? What is he talking about? And we need to clarify that before we go on, or none of the rest of what I'm going to be sharing with you this morning will make sense. So we're going to take two words from these verses. And the first one is that word life. Think about it for a moment. But in the Scriptures, especially to the Jewish people, it wasn't just limited and single uh, dimension. It was multifaceted. And in, in particular, even in the Greek, there were two meanings for this word. It meant physical life, but it also meant spiritual life. And Jesus is actually bringing these two meanings together. They're knit together, implying that if our physical life is not surrendered to Jesus, then our spiritual life won't happen. And if our spiritual life is not activated in Jesus, then our physical life will never become the wonderful plan that God has prepared for our lives. Another verse in the Gospel of John that brings these two realities together is John 10, verse 10, where Jesus says this, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Again, think of that word abundantly connected to the word life. It also translates as excessive, remarkable, advantageous. Now, if you stop to think about what Jesus is saying, doesn't what he offers sound pretty wonderful? And in this verse, John 10.10, 10, it's right in the middle of the teaching where Jesus proclaims himself to be God's one and only shepherd for the people of God. That's one of the reasons why I had us look at Psalm 23 this morning. We're going to go back to it and look at some of the ways that Psalm 23 points to the abundant life that God offers us that is both physical and spiritual that are brought together in Jesus. Let's listen to Psalm 23 again to hear the wonderful plan that Jesus has for our lives. Let's take verses 1 and 2. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now, I remember reading a book about Psalm 23, and I never understood the significance of still waters. Uh, according to shepherds, sheep won't drink from moving water. Think of the amount of work it takes for a shepherd to find still waters. And it's the very practical aspect of our lives that is being spoken of that Jesus cares about and takes care of just as a shepherd would do for his sheep. Let's move to verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now the statement, he restores my soul, connects the physical nature of our lives, to the spiritual. And unless we let Jesus lead us in paths of righteousness for His name's sake, which means for His honor, to the honor of His name, that's a spiritual activity of obedience 
then Jesus cannot truly give us all the wonderfully planned provision that God has prepared for us. Nor will our soul be fed, replenished, or refreshed. And again, it shows how the physical and the spiritual nature of our lives were never meant to be separated. Then in verses 4 through 5, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You see that picture it paints of really dark times that somebody is walking through. And David himself saw how the hand of God protected him from physical enemies, like King Saul and even one of his own sons, Absalom, whose name means uh, father of peace. But David also believed in the demonic and spiritual realities that were also at work through these physical realities and these physical enemies. Think again about what David declared when he fought Goliath, that uh, David was not just fighting physical people, nor was uh, Goliath standing up against human beings. He was standing up against the God of heaven. It's also why David was recruited to live in the courts of King Saul. And through the worship music of God that David played, he was able to quiet a demonic spirit that often would manifest in King Saul in anger and rage. Uh, do you remember reading how King Saul threw a spear at David numerous trying, trying to kill him? And finally, we have verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God tells us that our spiritual destinies are dependent upon our physical choices. And without the Lord as our shepherd, we will never experience the wonderful plan God has for our lives. So when Jesus proclaimed himself as the one and only good shepherd, Jesus was claiming that both the physical and the spiritual can never be had apart from him. And that's what John 20 verse 31 also points to. How we experience God's wonderful plan for our lives. We're going to go back to that verse again. And hear what the Holy Spirit says through the Apostle John. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Have you ever stopped? Maybe you have studied and thought about what that word believe means, especially when it's connected to Jesus' name. We need to understand that to experience God's wonderful plan for our lives. And I believe that what Jesus was pointing to are two particular things we need to understand. Number one, to believe is to trust. So Jesus is calling us 
to trust in what He did for us. And then secondly, I believe it's also learning to trust what Jesus wants to do through our lives. But let's begin with that first thought. Trusting in what Jesus did for us. And to discover this meaning, we have to go back to the beginning of the Gospel of John, where another John, John the Baptist, proclaims another powerful truth by the Spirit in verse 29 of chapter 1. Listen. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What an amazing statement. And it uh, would have been interesting to see the looks on the faces of John the Baptist's own followers and even the people who were nearby. It's amazing to me to think how Jesus is both the Good Shepherd and the Godly Lamb. The One who offers and the One who is offered. This phrase, Behold the Lamb of God, actually takes us back to the book of Exodus. Here is what God told Moses to tell the people as they're preparing for the Exodus. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Do you hear how the blood of the Passover lamb was vitally important both to their physical lives as well as their spiritual lives? Because of the sins of the people of Egypt against the people of Israel, God was about to bring His judgment upon Egypt that was literally a matter of life or death, even for the people of Israel. Because without the act of faith of letting the blood of the Passover lamb be a substitute for their blood and cover their household, then do you realize that even their sins against God would be judged? By putting the blood of the Passover lamb by faith at the entrance to their homes, that it meant that the people of God were trusting in God's mercy. They were trusting that God's judgment of death upon their own sin would pass over them. And in order to believe in God's promise through Moses, they had to believe in the character of God's holy name. They had to believe that only God could provide a sacrifice substitute for His righteous judgment upon their sins. So when we are told that by believing, we may have life in Jesus' name, we are being told 
that we must believe that Jesus is the only sacrifice substitute that God has provided for physical life and for true spiritual life, now and forevermore. Have you put your trust in who Jesus is and what Jesus offers you through his own life? Jesus is the only substitute for God's judgment for our sin. If we haven't, then when we stand before Jesus and he asks us why he should let us into his heaven, what will we tell him? Because Jesus will not accept any substitute that is not his sacrifice on our behalf. A great part of God's wonderful plan for our lives begins with our trust in what Jesus did for each one of us. That affects our lives now, both physically and spiritually. But there is a second great part of God's wonderful plan for our lives that is also meant to begin the moment we surrender ourselves to the mercy and the grace that is only found in Jesus. And that's where we're going to look at the second part that calls us to trust in what Jesus wants to do through us. And I believe verse 30 of John 20 points to the second part of God's, God's wonderful plan for our lives. Let's hear verse 30 again. It says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. What the Holy Spirit had John write in this verse points back to what Jesus promised he would do through us in John 14, 12. Hear what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. Jesus tells us that what we say about him is only half of our witness. The other half of our witness to Jesus comes from how we demonstrate the truth of what Jesus did. And that is the premise of this book that's called The Ultimate Treasure Hunt. This book was written by a guy by the name of Kevin Deadman, who has been personally experiencing the truth of John 14, 12 uh, for about 15 to 20 years. And Kevin Deadman has been training others about the greater things than these that God is calling us to step out in and seek to do. Here's just one example uh, that Kevin wrote about out of many that happened at a Home Depot. He said a small group of five people, uh, led by Kevin, prayed together, simply asking God to give them treasure clues for whom God wanted to show his kindness through them. Here are just some highlights of this one particular divine encounter. Uh, Kevin wrote and said that among the many clues they discerned together in prayer, Kevin had red hair, headache, Ralph, and back problem. Now, they had just finished ministering in this Home Depot to a young man that had fit some other clues, a black hat, black and gray sweatshirt, and marriage problems. 
And that's when they spotted a woman with red hair about 30 feet away. So Kevin yelled out in this Home Depot, said, Hey, do you by any chance have a headache? To which she responded, As a matter of fact, I do. She had just told her husband that she needed to abandon their shopping cart at Home Depot and go home because her headache had become so bad. Even though she was not a Christian, she allowed them to pray for her right there in the middle of Home Depot. They simply asked Jesus to show his kindness and his presence to touch her, and her headache immediately vanished. It kind of reminds me of what Diane shared about how people gathered around uh, together at the track after uh, the event that you were at. Uh, was that yesterday? Yeah, think about that. And as they started to walk away, though, they realized they also had the name Ralph on their treasure map. So from about 20 feet away, Kevin then yells back to her husband and said, Hey, I forgot to ask, but by any chance is your name Ralph? And he responded, As a matter of fact, it is. And Ralph also had a bad back, for which they also prayed, and which also was healed. They just simply prayed, Lord, let your presence come on his back. Bring your kingdom. And they said, I speak alignment in Jesus' name. Now, up to the point of uh, their prayer, Ralph's back had been severely limited uh, in flexibility and bending over. When they finished, Ralph was able to bend over and touch his toes without any problem. And with a cigar in his mouth, Ralph prayed with him to invite Jesus into his life like his wife just had. Because Kevin and these other people with him took the risk of taking Jesus at his words for what he promised in John 14, 12, several people that day experienced the kindness of God in the same practical ways that Jesus demonstrated when Jesus prayed for people. Again, think of how people responded to Jesus when he prayed for them. And what we are told in this verse, John 14, 12, is that what it says Jesus did was never meant to stop with just Jesus. Jesus meant for us to continue to show people his salvation and his kindness for others by doing what he did. But the question is, are we willing to take the risk of taking Jesus at his words and at his promise to do through us what the Holy Spirit also did through him? Because if we're willing to put our trust in what Jesus did for us, and are willing to put our trust in what Jesus wants to do through us, then we need to learn how to walk in the power of Jesus' life. And it's the challenge of those greater things than these that Jesus gave in John 14, 12. It requires our yieldedness to Jesus in those same two areas which we just examined. first one is this. Let the power of Jesus' life work in us daily. Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John so many times that he came to save us from the power of sin and death. And once we ask Jesus into our lives, 
we are to let Jesus to continue doing that work in us until the day that Jesus either brings us home or he returns. Salvation is a process. Think about that word salvation. The root of it is to salvage. What do you do with something when you salvage it? First, you save it from uh, being condemned or destroyed. Then it's a process of restoring it. So we have to ask ourselves, are we letting Jesus continue to do his saving work in our lives daily? I'm not talking about getting saved over and over again, but just simply letting Jesus continue that transformation that the Scriptures talk about. Second thing, letting the power of Jesus' life work through us daily. Just like Kevin Dedman talked about, there are people all around us who are treasures to God. And Jesus has specific people in mind that he wants each of us to show his kindness and his salvation to by just simple prayers. We never know what the prayer is going to do. It could touch them in a powerful way, or it might sow seeds that God grows uh, and allows to spring up at a later date. But are we letting Jesus continue to do his saving work through our lives? As we continue to let Jesus transform us, that becomes a witness to the truth of His name. And when we let Jesus continue to touch the lives of others through our life, that also proves His name to be true. But we must be willing to let our lives prove true what the Holy Spirit writes about Jesus in the Gospel of John. And like I've said to others before, I might have mentioned this week, uh, last week as well when I talked about prayer. You and I are only one prayer away from seeing God do a miracle in our lives or in someone else's life. But it will take our trust in Jesus' name and in Jesus' power to make a difference. As I close this time right now, there are three things I just want us to remember. Summarized at the end of the outline. Um, number one is this. Our physical lives were never meant to be separated from our spiritual lives. Number two. We need to experience daily what Jesus did for us. And then number three. We need to practice daily what Jesus wants to do through us. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, all I can say is thank you. Uh, I, I can't even uh, begin to thank you enough for thinking of how you've changed my own life, Lord God. Uh, the way you've transformed me, I can think of what I was like before I knew you. I can think of uh, the different stages of my immaturity, some of the stupid things I've done, for which I'm thankful I've survived. And I praise you and thank you, Lord Jesus, that it is your love and grace that continues to work within me and even through me in ways I can't even begin to imagine. Uh, even as I was driving here today, Lord God, I was amazed and in awe of the beauty of all that you've made around us. Uh, if we just open our eyes to take a look, 
that You are King of kings and Lord of lords, that You are mighty God and Creator. We praise You and bless You. Lord, as we grow in our awe of Your greatness, let us grow in our courage and our confidence that You are continuing to transform us and that You are continuing to work through us to touch other peoples with Your love and kindness. May the Lord bless you, and may He touch you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.